Hello and welcome to All Villa No Filler, a podcast all about Aston Villa, the world's greatest football team. But oh dear, has it been a difficult week. Firstly, outclassed by Crystal Palace, and in the last few hours, word the Ismaila Saar deal has fallen through. We'll get to all that and more in a moment. Or Frankie tries to lift my spirits and tickle my taste buds with a very spicy question. Uh, well, Frankie, if we start with a Palace game, you were at Selhurst Park to see the mighty Villa thrash 3-1. Uh, what did you make of it, first of all? Is this the bit where I do that Mark Lawrenson voice? Uh... <laughs> I mean, I think so. I think now's, now's, now seems like an appropriate time for it. Well, you know, I don't even like football, really. It's just it's just 11 men kicking a bag of wind around the pitch, isn't it, you know? <laughs> don't even know why I play football. Um, it's been a few days since our, or my journey to Selhurst Park. Uh, I, I liked the ground, proper old school, also where they filmed Ted Lasso, which is how I convinced my girlfriend to go there. <laughs> right. Uh, well, uh, the, I don't think I've seen like such a negative reaction on kind of Villa Twitter, not that I should take Twitter as a barometer really, but it mm. does represent, I guess, something. Um, and, you know, you can really sense there are a lot of doubts about Steven Gerrard at the moment. And that's totally understandable considering our runner form is really poor. Now, you know, like, I thought the worst thing that would happen to me was that in the last week was that I would go to a beach in the UK or England specifically that was full of sewage because that's actually happening in England right now for all our listeners not in the UK. Um, England yeah. specifically has beaches full of um, raw sewage. So as Winston Churchill once said, we shall shite them on the beaches. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, that was not the worst thing. That was it was actually watching Villa's performance at Crystal Palace. Now look, the first five minutes were actually incredibly fun, and we took the lead. And it really looked like Villa were potentially um, on course for a really positive display. And then, incredibly, within two minutes of Ollie Watkins scoring, Palace long ball uh, from the back, I, right up the pitch, and I was. And as soon as I saw the ball land at Zaha's feet, I thought surely he's not broken free here. Like, this can't be happening. Konsa was a bit away from him. Matty Cash was caught high up the pitch and Zaha breaks through and scores. And from that moment, really, but for a couple of moments, Villa had where Bailey hit the bomb when Dia probably should have scored in the first half. Um, mm. Palace just outclassed Villa. Villa had no answer to Eberichieze, no answer to Wilfred Zaha. Um Eze particularly really impressed me. I think, you know, like the thing the thing I thought that I couldn't believe watching live was that, you know, Villa playing it around at the back, it would it would be that Martinez would play it to Mings, and then Mings would play it back to concert, and then it would be back to Martinez. Then Martinez would look for cash. It was all very predictable and it was all, you know, as soon as Palace put Villa under pressure, we looked panicked. 
We looked mm. like we were going to lose the ball. We looked unimaginative. And then we would resort to hoofing it because we were panicking. And that just leads to Pedersen generally winning the ball in defence for Palace and they regained possession. There was nothing in midfield to come and grab that ball. And I think through the whole game, it felt to me like Villa needed either an extra body in midfield or a different player in there because McGinn really struggled. Ramsey looked a bit lost. And Kamara was just kind of tied up with trying to sort out Eze and um, was it Mateta or uh, Odson yeah. Edward? Mm. Uh, Jeffrey Schlupp as well. So yeah. there was just no one in midfield to come and grab that ball, you know, to, to take possession, take the, the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, so when in the second half, we were 2-1 down at this point, I thought it was about the 60th, 5th, 70th minute, and I thought, surely the midfield is going to get changed. And instead, Danny Ings got sent off, sent on, sorry, for Leon Bailey. Now, yes, I think Bailey probably should have come off because I thought I've seen him be praised for his performance and his assist was really clever for um, Watkins. And yes, he hit the crossbar, but ultimately, I actually thought he was quite wasteful. I wasn't that impressed. Um, but he is our only out and out winger and he has. He has the ability to change games. Um, but yeah, I thought it was the right time to bring him off. But Ings coming on and no midfielder coming on was very confusing to me. And it was a little bit hit and hope, I thought. It was a bit like, we'll go back to the formation we won against Everton with, the diamond formation, Wendy in behind the two strikers. But to me, I thought, I don't think this is going to work. And then Palace absolutely destroyed us for the next five minutes. And it all accumulated with... Um, that goal, uh, the third goal that they scored, which was a really well-worked um, bit of play. Uh, and then eventually Louise came on. Yes, Louise, statistically, if you look at it, he had more key passes. He, he, he did better, but at, at the same time, it was 3-1, and I think Palace were just sitting back. Had Louise come on earlier, either for McGinn or as another body midfield, maybe things would have been different. We don't know. But at the moment... It really looks to me like Villa are playing with absolutely zero confidence. Mm. They don't have the confidence to play it around at the back. They don't have the confidence to get it forward and get it to a player who's just going to hold it up. The midfield just isn't there. There isn't anything there from what I could see in that 4-3-3. So, yes. Um, look, I don't I don't want to be like too like negative about it all, but Coming away from that game at Selhurst Park, I thought, I think any team would beat Villa, like watching that, like just, yeah. just that performance. And there's a lot to think about for Gerard and the coaches. So, you know, look, we'll talk more about, you know, Gerard and that in the next, uh, in the next little bit. But, you know, what, what did you think, George? You know, I've got, I've gone on long enough. I've ranted long <laughs> enough. Well, this this is always the thing. Whenever we leave it a couple of days, Frankie, that we both have time to kind of sort of sit and stew and digest. Is that your baby screaming? That was how. That, that was is. the noise I made during the game. You, you know, he's he's misbehaved, so I've put on the highlights. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's watching that. He's, he's, he's just, just seen uh, the second goal. Yeah, he, he just he just saw he just saw that IU chance where he was left uh, completely unmarked on the yeah. far side of the uh, of the box. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, so so 
I was, uh, as I said, like you, we've had a couple of days really to digest it. I actually didn't see the game live. I was at a wedding. Um, it, it did serve as a distraction, um, thankfully, but I obviously was across how things are developing. And um, yeah, it was it was difficult at the time. It's difficult now, a few days later, to think about what was kind of going on, uh, mm. to be honest. I mean, just from a basic perspective, Palace looked sharper uh hungrier than us um and and you know that's that's kind of you always think of steven gerrard as a player those were two kind of traits that really defined him as a as a midfielder that he was he was always a very sort of aggressive hungry uh player that 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 sort of played with his heart on his sleeve and and always gave everything for 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 the liverpool cause but i Mm. don't really see that reflected in his well, I don't know. You'd have to ask a Rangers fan, but I, I don't. I don't see it reflected certainly in in this Aston Villa team at the moment, yeah. which is which is really yeah. concerning. Um, okay, yeah, there were a couple of things that that, that went against us. Against us, I mean, you could argue was the Dinia penalty decision a penalty? Gerard obviously didn't seem to think. So. I don't think it was I a think... penalty. I was surprised in the stadium. I was like, what What happened? Like, I yeah, no I, idea. I, I mean, you know, it was just him contesting uh, the ball. Uh, with Mark Gehi, I think it was, and and the header from Gehi struck his arm. I mean, it, that's it, really unfortunate. I think it, rem- it reminded um, me of. Do you remember when um, I think it was Andy Carroll, maybe for Newcastle, headed mm. the ball against um, Eric Dier, and Eric Dier jumped for it and it hit the that's back of right. his hand. And I remember yeah, Jamie right. Carragher and commentary going, "You've got to stop this because you're ruining football. <laughs> yeah, you're ruining yeah. football." And I think I swear after that that like VAR we got got a bit more lenient for that kind of thing. Yeah, and that was like a proper throwback to that. So I I, I couldn't. I thought it was very harsh on Dean, but it it was it was very harsh. But but the making of a team is how you react to those sorts of setbacks. And yes, we just didn't react very well at all. Um, and I always feel I mean always feel I mean we're three games into the season, but it was the same situation at Bournemouth. You know, we concede very early on, and we just we just don't react. Um, the no. difference in this game were we, we we started off really strongly, obviously got the opening goal, and then the last thing you want to do is be conceding literally minutes later, which is what we did. Yeah. Um, and and since and, and and you know since that moment after Palace scored, we we just didn't react very well, and to lose um, you know the, the two goals that we did, and it's just it's really disappointing. Um, you know we we've got we've got ambitions of of a. Uh, of a top 10 finish. We spoke at the start of the season that that should be the minimum objective. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we're miles away from that. Absolutely miles away from it. And it's all yes. well and good saying, you know, well, it's two away losses and, and obviously away from home, it's much more difficult. Naturally, it is obviously in Selhurst Park. We, we did mention that away at Palace, we don't have the best record. But our ambitions have, have changed. Gerard has been backed in the, the transfer market. This summer, we spent a lot of money. Mm. Again, it's unfortunate that one of the players brought in for big money, Carlos, will, will be out for the foreseeable future. But there should be enough players in reserve to come in and and, and replace him, at least temporarily, while, yeah. we, while we sort of try and fix the problem at, at, until the end of the season. So it's... Uh, sorry, end of, the, end of the transfer window. So, yeah, I mean, Villa Twitter can be a very toxic place to be, and, and there's been a lot of... Um, Twitter generally is toxic. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and and you have to take a lot of, of, of what is said with a bit of a pinch of salt. But I haven't Absolutely. known Villa Twitter to be this kind of united, sort of against Gerard 
this early into the season. It's what, mm. three wins in 14 if you take well, the tail end of last season into account. It's not, it's just not good enough. No. I've got I've got two points, I think. I think one, I think the Bournemouth game was a real shock. And I think it was that that Bournemouth performance was so insipid and clueless that I think that's really hit everyone's confidence quite hard. Because I think whilst our form wasn't great towards the end of last season, I think you at least give Gerard the benefit of the doubt and you say, okay. He's not at his preseason, which I think he himself may have mentioned. So mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that, but um, and uh, you know he's not had his own signing, so you you know you give someone the benefit of the doubt in that sense. There were a couple of signs of preseason that maybe there was a bit of toughness there, like the Manu fight back in Australia and the the Ren result. Obviously, you can't read too much into preseason mm-hmm. um, because those results just don't matter ever. Um, but um, to be as poor as we were against Bournemouth, a side who I think they've lost badly twice since. Their squad looks like they they're going to struggle bottom three this year. I mean, they're really going to struggle. Might, yeah, you know, might, realistically, who knows? Maybe they won't, but I think they will. For Villa to be as bad as they were, I think that was a real shock and just took the wind out of the sails. All the optimism seeped out. Everton game, for some reason, Everton treated us like they were playing Man City and were ultra-defensive. So we were quite unconvincing in that game as well, I thought. At least we won. Um, But again, the Palace game, it looked to me like, what is our identity? Mm -hmm. We're punching around formations. In pre-season, the diamond formation failed miserably against Man United in the first half. So we moved to 4-3-3. It worked really well. Then we played 4-3-3 against Bournemouth. It didn't work. So we went to a diamond against Everton. Mm -hmm. And then we're back to 4-3-3. And it's like we can't find that formation. And, you know, the other point I said, I had two points. Look at Newcastle against Manchester City, right, on Sunday. Newcastle, that squad is not better than Aston Villa's squad. Is it more balanced? Maybe there's a case for that. Okay, maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe Joe Ellington in midfield is that big physical presence that we maybe don't have. But I still don't think they're necessarily better than Villa. Mm-hmm. I think they have two really quality players in Alan San Maxima and Guimaraes, um, Guimaraes in uh, midfield. But, you know, you, and perhaps Sven Botman's a quality defender as well. I don't know him too well, really. But you can't tell me that, like, Joe Willock and, you know, Dan Byrne. Miguel Almiron. Miguel Almiron. Those players are better than what Villa have. They're just mm. not. So... But you saw them play against Man City and you've seen them play under Eddie Howe. And there's a there's a collective belief there. There is a sense of excitement. There's a, there's a sense they've all bought into whatever it is that this idea is and that they can take the game to Manchester City. And in fairness, Villa did do that against Man City on the last day of the season last year. And maybe we'll do that in a couple of games' time. But... Overall, you have to say that under Eddie Howe, Newcastle have looked like they have an identity. Everyone knows what it is that their role is. And everybody is, um, you know, pulling in the, the direction they want to go and fighting, fighting for it, you know. And Villa, watching them against Bournemouth and watching them against Palace, there's no fight. It's it's not, it, there's no, it doesn't look like there's necessarily a collective belief no. in what in what it is that we're trying to do. And I think that, you know, is it the players? That's just theorising. We don't know. 
is it the coaching staff? Is it is it the manager? That's something you can only really answer if you're on the training ground. But what I'm seeing from Newcastle is a is a collective sense of belief from mm. a squad that I don't think is better than Villa's. And I think Villa surely have to be playing better against Palace and Bournemouth than we have done with the players that we have. Well, um, if you if, if you look at it just from a purely uh, objective point of view, hmm. you've got Argentina number one in goal. You've got you've got Mings England centre half. You've got Cash Poland right back. You've got Dina France left back. You've got Kamara France centre midfielder. You've got McGinn Scotland captain. Uh, you know you've got Jacob Ramsey England under twenty one. Watkins is is you know will, will feature for the England team as well. That, that, Almost man for man, player for player, that is a whole team of international players. Yeah, if they they're good enough in the eyes of the international coaches to be selected for their for their for their nations, there is no excuse. There is no mm. excuse for them not to not to perform to the utmost of their abilities. They have ability. It's 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 proven. They've proven that at the various clubs they've been at before, and they've proven that at Aston Villa as well over yes. the last couple of seasons. So, it for me, it then boils down to. Are they being motivated enough? Are, are, are is it a tactical issue? You know, it, it sort of. I'm not exonerating the players. I think no. you know. I, I think I think that that that's always something you need to look at when you when you're staring a, a really bad run of form in the face. Yeah. But equally, you've got to think. Looking at that squad, you should be able to get a tune out of them. Hmm. Um, and and if we're not doing that, then then where does the blame lie? And uh, as I said, if, we, if we're looking at what Villa Twitter is is uh, has been spouting the last couple of days, the, the finger is really pointing at, at, at Stephen Gerrard. Yeah. And 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 to be honest, I think I think from my point of view, I'm sort of agreeing with it because, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. there is this chopping and changing in formation and personnel. He doesn't know the right players. He doesn't know the right formation, the right system. The substitutions have been. Concerning, I think you know you were at the Palace game. As you I said, that midfield... sub didn't make sense to me. No, exactly. You said the midfield was being overrun. Why are we bringing on a, a centre forward then? You know, we're we're not football managers, but but yeah. but Gerard is. You know, he should be looking at it. Well, making... I did get pro... I did win the Lee the Premier League with Northampton once on football manager. So don't you forget? Well, that, well, there we are. No, I, no, I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. That's that's that a hell of an achievement, Francos. Um, I think you mentioned Daniel Nardiello was your, uh, was your <laughs> main man. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, like you know. If if fans can kind of see that from the from the stands from the touchline, like why why is why does that not seem to be clear to, to Stephen Gerrard? But hey, I'm I'm more that it's three games in. I don't want to be in a position where I'm saying you know Gerrard out. I'm really not that yet, but yes. I really need to. We need to see an improvement against uh, West Ham on Sunday week. Um, West Ham, who are you know are they bottom of the table now, winless in three, haven't scored a goal yet. I'm nervous. I'm nervous, Frankie. They'll come to you know. They'll come to uh, they'll come to Villa Park, and I'm a bit anxious about that game because if we lose that one, then alarm bells well and truly will be ringing. I think. Okay, we'll move on to the spicy question in just a moment. But as it is the end of August, we're reaching uh, fever pitch when it comes to uh, transfers. We've had a couple of players leaving uh, Aston Villa in the last few hours. Uh, Ismail Assar was a player who. We felt, we both felt probably, Frankie, he was about to join. We'll start with him. First of all, we had a bid of around uh, £25 million accepted by Watford, but clearly in, there's been something happening behind the scenes, which has meant that deal now seems to be off. Um, 
what's your reaction to it? I mean, obviously we don't know for sure, but but just as we've been talking, really, there's been a few updates. Uh, Fabrizio Romano has, has been speaking about uh, what's been going on there, and he seems to think that it's something to do with uh, the entourage of Ismail Assar or the player himself, uh, perhaps moving the goalposts when it comes to personal demands. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that is the case, does that change your perception of of how that deal was was moving forward? Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, again, I've seen like quite a, yeah, just from some of the more, you know, visceral wings of some of the fandom, I think that you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, this is embarrassing and all this. It's not embarrassing at all. You, in football transfer windows, you make bids for players, sometimes they get accepted and then sometimes... Uh, the deal breaks down on wages, structure, and that seems to be what has happened here. It's just what happens in football. Um, I think initially when I saw the Ishmael Asar bid had happened, it was straight, it was as I was walking back from Selhurst Park and I was not in the best of moods. So I think <laughs> yeah. I was I was just like, well, what, what is this? We don't have a winger. We, 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 I don't know. What, it, what are we doing? What? Are, um, but look, you know, as... Um, I had time to sort of mull over it. I could see why Villa went for Star because ultimately we only have one pacey winger, really. Um, pacey, skillful winger, which is uh, Leon Bailey. Um, and, you know, Bertrand Traore has gone to Istanbul. Um, and um, I think El Ghazi doesn't seem to be involved, really, at the moment. And also Trezeguet has gone to Turkey. So, um, you know, it's, uh, so, so the Star signing attempt makes sense um and you know I, I personally think it's probably a good thing that villa aren't willing to go you know what we're going to put you on huge ridiculous wages because ultimately you know i've seen a few people mention you know the, the comparing villa to everton right where everton did where they put themselves in a huge amount of debt um so uh with with big purchases and big bids for for players i'm glad to see that villa aren't necessarily just allowing players to dictate that they're at least saying you know there is a limit to what we can pay players and you know we're not that desperate um so you know ultimately could star have added something we had a I, you know i had a really interesting interview with a guy with a toby gillers um who's a uh premier league commentator watford fan really knows his stuff um and it's frustrating that i put that interview out and then within about an hour um, the deal had fallen through. So all that work. <laughs> uh, it was a bit like when uh, yeah. I put out that piece about Benton Kerr. And uh, as you called it, George, the Benton curse. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Didn't Proud quite work out. But um, look, deals fall through. It is what it is. I don't think it's a sign that Villa are panicking or scrambling around. Um, and I think actually maybe it's a positive sign that Villa uh, aren't willing to just allow players to dictate. Um but I think it probably insinuates as well that there are still moves to be had in this transfer window. It's a bit of a transfer shift, isn't it? Because us as Villa fans, we were sitting there all smug, wrapping up all of our deals before August even got underway and thinking, oh, we can sit back and just enjoy it while there's a mad scramble by the other Premier League clubs around us to try and you know improve their teams. Well, look at us now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've really changed tact, haven't we? Um, <laughs> you know, with, with the with the SAR deal, like it, it, it it's it's 
quite the antithesis to how we started the transfer window, isn't it? It's kind of like, yeah, it came, I mean, a lot of our transfers seem to come out of nowhere, but it did come out of nowhere. It was in a position where a lot of Villa fans were thinking, you know, do we need strengthening there? We, we don't tend to play wingers with, with Gerard. It's not really a formation that he particularly likes or, or plays that frequently. Um, but, you know, as you say, with with uh, with um, uh, Trezeguet leaving, El Ghazi frozen out and um, Traore off, off to Istanbul, uh, you know, if you look at it on paper, it probably is something we need to uh, we, we do need to consider. Um, so I was I was, you know, kind of warming to it, really. Uh, and then, yeah, the sort of sledgehammer blow where it was announced just as quickly as, as terms had been agreed. Terms hadn't been agreed. And um you know we're back to we're back to square one. It's, it's um it's a bit disconcerting really as a as a as a Villa fan to kind of see what looks to be a little bit of a transfer mess emerging out the club because as I say we've we've been quite good when it comes to uh, our transfer dealings uh, under uh, under Langer and under Gerrard. But um, yeah, I think these things happen, and I I, th- I think they they are more likely to happen as you draw towards the end of deadline day because. Mm. The clock's ticking. Um, you know, Villa clearly are, are looking at the results over the last few weeks and thinking, hmm, I think we do need to make a few more changes and, and strengthen the squad a bit more. Um, and uh, and and so we're doing that. And so I do anticipate really quite a frantic last few days, which isn't ideal, but sometimes that's just the nature of of having a transfer window. You know, when you when you have that limit on when you can strengthen your squad. Okay. Also, the fact we, we didn't anticipate Diego Carlos would be injured for, for so long yeah. coming into the club um, and, and getting his injury. Lie. So exactly, you know, you yeah. know, literally, his, his, you know, home debut and he gets an injury like that. I mean, you can't legislate for that. So obviously that had, does have to be addressed. So I'm sure we'll bring in a centre-back to cover for him. And obviously now Courtney Horse has gone to Watford. That makes that position even more pressing. Um, so we'll see. We still, I'm still hopeful we bring in a, another number eight. Mm-hmm. So we could see, you know, three or four more transfers come in before the end of August, which would be, um, you know, it's yeah. exciting, but but you yeah. know, is it is it ideal? I don't know. I just uh, I just worry about. I don't know. Maybe I'm sort of um, still, you know, not recovered from the Randy Lerner O'Neill era when we spent a lot big wages. Yeah, and then the 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 taps turned off, and it was a yeah. long slow decline. Um, I I don't think. The current owners are Randy Lerner. You never know. You never know. Well, it's but... it's the it's the it's the parallels, isn't it, between you know Man City under the under the Randy Lerner O'Neill days and Newcastle under the oh, yeah. you know the new the the new ownership. It's kind of like you know we're, we're spending all this money, we're trying to break into Europe, and, yeah. and all of a sudden this huge you know this. Um, there's this huge takeover of another club, and and they're on the rise, and it sort of freezes us out again. But um, yeah, I hope. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's not the case. There's no indication yet that, um, as you put it, the taps are being turned off. Um, but um, uh, it is it is slightly concerning. A lot of that early season optimism, Frankie, I feel in both of us is being is ebbing away. Mm. Uh, is that fair to say? Yes, uh, it was the <laughs> to be honest. It was the Bournemouth game. That was the one that mm. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it how just how insipid it was and you know you can lose away at home you can oh sorry you can lose away uh you know against a newly promoted side on the first day of the season but to be as poor as we were really was a 
shock. And, you know, compare it to Watford last season, first day of the season, and it was so soon after Grealish. It was a lot of, it was tumultuous time. So you can understand why that went as badly as it did. But Bournemouth, I don't think mm. there was an excuse for that. And I think that's just left everybody with the wind out of their sails, I think. And it's going to take a really top performance to turn that around, really. All Villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back, everybody. Now it is time for this. Things are about to get very hot and heavy here on the All Villa, No Filler podcast. As I ask this, the spicy question. Today, George, I'm asking you... If Villa lose their next three games or fail to pick up a win against West Ham, Arsenal and Man City, could Steven Gerrard be on his way out of the club? Well, it's an interesting one, uh, isn't it? Because I saw Ashley Priest, um, the, the Villa journalist, uh, tweet earlier today that uh, Gerrard has the full backing of the club's board. The dread, the dreaded vote of confidence, um, as as it's often known, and um, I got one of them on uh, Football Manager by uh, uh, Atletico <laughs> Madrid. We later, soon after we you sacked, yeah, drew, yeah, yeah, draw exactly. with Elche, it's, it's, and that was the end of that. It's always the way. It's always the way. Well, well, this is the thing. It's um, if if it if it's become so big a deal that you know the club's owners are, are sort of telling local media that. Um, that they have full confidence in uh, in the manager. You you know behind the scenes that really they're probably thinking uh, we're we're a little bit anxious about how things have, have started. Which I think it's fair enough. You know they've they've invested so much money in the club and they're still continuing to back him. Obviously the Saad deal uh, would have been around twenty five million pounds. That's a lot of money, obviously, uh, for a footballer. So he's been he's been backed. Um, uh, this summer, he was backed in January with the Coutinho loan, which obviously became permanent. Um, you know, the Kamara deal, I know that was a free, but you're assuming that his wages will be significant given the interest mm-hmm. from other clubs. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, this is what happens. If you're, if, you're, if you're backed in the transfer market, you'll be expected to deliver on the football pitch. And at the moment, we're not delivering on the football pitch. So this is, this is the way modern game works and and you know premier league legend or not um you're defined as a manager by the amount of games that you win and if we're not winning enough by their standards then then you've got to go i mean from my perspective i'm i genuinely want to give him time i don't like seeing managers being chopped and changed It's it's a sign of a club that's not particularly well managed you don't want to be turning into a club like a watford or a team like that where you're where you're um you know, replacing or Chelsea, you know, replacing managers every other season. For me, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. But worse for Chelsea. Well, it, it, okay, and Real Madrid. Yeah, no, it, 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 yeah. So they I are Chelsea suppose, and Real Madrid, and they have a lot. They of money. are Chelsea and Real Madrid, and and they do have a lot of money. And and yeah, I mean, you, you can look at it in terms of a changing model of football that you now have these directors of football that are in charge of the the, the signings and, and the manager plays much more of a backseat role. Their focus is is primarily on sort of decisions made on the football pitch. So so they are seen as probably more dispensable than they were, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, maybe maybe even longer. Um 
so yeah, I mean, in in this in this modern age, managers are very dispensable, and Gerard is dispensable despite his notoriety and his and his fame and everything else and his ability to attract players. I mean, I think a lot of the players that we signed, we talked about this before, wouldn't have come under Dean Smith. They just wouldn't have seen him as a big enough name to attract uh, to attract players to Villa Park. Gerard is that big name um, that, that that gets people to play uh, for us. But whether his, you know, his, his, his tactical ability as a manager is, is, can he get the most out of the players that he's attracting to to, to Birmingham? I, I don't know. I don't know. As you say, the next three games are crucial. West Ham mm. seems like a massive game of those three. <laughs> I mean, the other two, what you said, Arsenal and, and Man City, mm. two teams in you know Arsenal, Arsenal in very very good form, and um, and Man City are Man City. So you're thinking. He needs to win at least one of those ones, and 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 if and if and if it is, then it has to be it has to be that West Ham game against uh, Villa Park a week on Sunday. So, yeah. So yeah, big game that one. Big game. Yeah, it, it's a it's a unique test for Gerard. Really, I'm not sure he's ever had to face this level of um, difficulty in his managerial career yet. You know, he started off badly at Rangers. Rangers. He did start off yeah. badly, at Rangers, but 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 different level of scrutiny. I'm not saying that yeah. Rangers aren't a massive club, and they certainly are up in Scotland. Mm-hmm. But but there is a different level of scrutiny on on the SPL than there is in the Premier League. It's, yeah, it's different because Rangers are always going to be the you know Rangers and Celtic are always going to be the top two teams, and you know in the Premier League with Aston Villa, it's a very different test and um. This is a this is a really difficult moment for him, and as you say, West Ham. Oh, we're going to talk about it in the next section when we look ahead to the next game. But you know, it's it is a game suddenly that really takes on big, you know, could potentially have big consequences um, because Arsenal and City just look like two teams at the moment. Well, City always, but Arsenal particularly with their current form look like they're just very they're not going to Villa are not going to find it easy against them, but. You never know. Like this is the moment for him to prove what he is as a manager. This is mm. the moment for him to 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 get some a tune out of these players, for these for these players to collectively rally around and to fight and to for Gerard to give them a structure that they can work with and a plan that they can work with that's going to take it to West Ham, Arsenal, and Manchester City. That's what he's getting paid for. That's what the coaches are here for. That's why Neil Critchley's here. So you know, it's um, collectively they have to pull themselves out of this um, early middle sort of feeling that we're in a bit of a rut already. Um, and do we have the character to do that? We're going to find out in the next few games. But also, you know, it's a, it'll be an interesting one for, for Christian Perslow if this doesn't work out. So far with the ownership, it's been, you know, we can't argue with it. It's been pretty great. I, I also love the way they've targeted, you know, the youth team in the last few years. Um, it's been a real, you know, and it's been a fun ride with, you know, when we had Grealish and Dean Smith there, Villa fans and, um, you know, such prominent roles in the club. Obviously, now it's a very different atmosphere. Um, it, 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 yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Sirius and Edens react to this if it doesn't work out. Um, and was Gerard Perslow's man? Again, we're not there. We can say he was. We assume he was. They knew each other from the Liverpool days. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how... Suarez and Edis, Edens react if it doesn't really work out. Um, well, we, hopefully, we, we, we pull it together. We said we said at the start of the season, didn't we? And and at the start of this podcast, that the expectations have changed at Villa Park. You know, last season he came in midway through the season, replaced Dean Smith, and his his 
his job basically was to just obviously ensure that we were nowhere near the relegation zone and to um and to just yeah just just to kind of like start to build something um and and we we said i think at the time when gerard joined because he was such a big name because he had the success up in Scotland with Rangers that he wouldn't have joined Villa if there wasn't a guarantee that he would be allowed to spend money. He spent that money, and as a result, the expectations now have changed. We're not we're not a club that that needs to be doggy paddling in the in the league anymore. The expectations have risen, and he doggy paddling in, to... in a in a sewage infested <laughs> English beach. Well, precisely, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's what it feels like at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> but um, but we we should we shouldn't be we shouldn't be just. So aiming to finish fourteenth, fifteenth, no way. Last, last season, we, we've got we no. we got to we got to push on, as you said, not with the outlay that we've made, and not with the players that we've got, and and everything else. So like we've we've got to be pushing on, and and from what I've seen so far this season, we're, we're just not doing that. If anything, it feels like we're regressing. So he's got to nip that in in the bud. Um, they always say like judge a manager on the first ten games. After six games, we'll have played. You know, six of those games, uh, two two of those six will be against Arsenal and Man City, and and I'm concerned about those two. So, as I said, the West Ham game does seem to be of critical importance. Um, and and you know, uh, yeah, I'm a bit I'm a bit anxious. Uh, I I do want to give him time, and and who knows, we might pull a rabbit out of the hat against Arsenal and Man City. But but we need to start showing just a bit more grit. The ba- the basics a bit more fight and, and and a bit more sense of, of what we're doing on a football pitch which we just haven't shown so far All Villa No Filler on YouTube Twitter Facebook and Instagram Okay a rant over from both of us I think let's look ahead <laughs> to Villa's next league game uh, we obviously do have Bolton on Tuesday in the Carabao Cup but it's West Ham at home we've talked about this at length but we'll talk about it a bit more now Frankie how do you think that one's going to go. Um, normally, I sort of dread West Ham because we have we see there seems to be a bit of a bogey team for us. They didn't used to be. We used to beat them all the time. I, I think, from what I remember, in the nineties and early two thousands. Um, but in the recent years, they seem to just become this team that we don't really seem to perform against, and. Um, Last season it was a four-one hammering, and I think that was the that was one of the games that sort of suggested that Dean Smith's time might be coming to a close. It could be the same on Sunday. Look, but the, you know, I've seen I've seen that the West Ham fans are, and I've all been going, mate. I tell you, mate, it's all it's all gone to pot. West Ham, it's all gone to pot. You can theorise about it. You know, they got to the semi-finals of the Europa League. Maybe there's a hangover that they sort of fell kind of nearly at the last hurdle there. Uh, to Eintracht Frankfurt, um, you know that's it's a bit. It's it's tough to come back from you know losses like that, particularly when you're so close. So maybe there's a little element of that. Maybe teams have worked out Moyes' approach. Moyes himself has a decent history against Aston Villa. I swear, I can't think of how many of many occasions we ever beat Moyes teams. Um, there must be occasion. There's probably probably people people screaming at this podcast of times it happened but i don't actually remember that many um so uh yeah i mean look you know looking at villa's midfield the other day um that midfield will get completely overpowered by rice and sujek if 
we play how we did against Palace and against Bournemouth. We're at home. Didn't work for us last year when we got battered 4-1. Uh, you know, I saw them against Forest, uh, West Ham. They're, how on earth they didn't score like four goals in that game and ended up losing 1-0. I will never know. Nottingham Forest have said some prayers to some dodgy god out there who's answered them. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how they got away with that, but uh, but they did. And um, you know, I think if West Ham get a similar level of chances against Villa, they'll they'll take them this time. And uh, so, we you know we've been overpowered by West Ham a few times now. We just can't let that happen this weekend. Uh, will they try a four-two-three-one uh, with you know maybe a double pivot of Louise and uh, Kamara that I've seen a few people mention? Possibly. Uh, I, I, I can't say, man. Like, not confident. I'm not no. confident about this, even though West Ham have had a really bad start. But. Uh, I'll say a draw. I'll say a one-one draw, um, and that Villa show a bit more fight, a bit more, and that maybe there's there's a there's a little bit more about them in this game at home. We'll 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 see. I dare to be optimistic, but I just don't like the thought of Declan Rice against our midfield. I just don't. I think he's an absolutely fantastic player, um, and I think. I'm not sure we're going to be able to handle him, but, you know, maybe we will. What do you think, George? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not confident, Frankie. I don't think any... I, I've been I've been a bit disappointed because, you know, I love doing this show when Villa win. I don't... I, 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 I love speaking to you, Frankie. I love talking about the Villa generally, but when we lose, it's just... It's so much more difficult to, um, <laughs> to sort of motivate myself to, yeah. uh, to be positive and to think, yeah, you know, it's all right. We'll get a win. It'll be fine. It'll all be great. We'll turn it around. Um, but you, you know, we followed the villa, you and I, for for far too long. Um, and and for the most part, there have been not for the most part, what am I saying? Uh for large spells, uh, it has it has been it has been sometimes quite difficult. The last to, decade's been it's tough. It's been tough. It's been tough. It's been tough. And I think, you know, there's Philavans watching this who can who can relate, relate to yeah. how we're feeling. Um, as you say, in recent seasons, West Ham have been a bit of a bogey side. Uh, they just, they just feel like tougher than us. You know what I mean? It's I the feel toughness. Like it's the toughness. It's the toughness. I always it, mention West Ham when I say what a Villa lacking. It's a bit of a West Ham thing. They yes, don't have and that. Which, which makes the Carlos injury so much more difficult to bear because Carlos represented that physical, yeah, toughness and ball playing as well he was good and on the ball, ball playing right? yeah all, all of that which we which we have which we have lacked i i don't like to see us so limp uh as mm. we have been in recent games and uh, and that is something i was i'm sure west ham will look to look to exploit set pieces set pieces we've been through this time and time again already at the start of the season at the end of last we i don't know what's going on with set pieces and west ham are the set piece kings um so again, pieces, to, to be to be worried about um, the mentality side of things, you know. As I said, as soon as we seem to, con- as soon as we conceded against Bournemouth, as soon as we conceded um, against uh, Palace, sort of heads dropped, anxiety, lack of you know, belief, play- lack of belief. Playing at home, obviously, 
generally speaking, that's a good thing. But if if, if you're playing for a club with the high expectation and you, and you and you sort of go a goal down or two goals down, I think the players can feel it from the fans in the stadium that sense of sort of disappointment and frustration. So that could play into things. Uh, I don't know, Frankie. Um, <laughs> Look at us. Very, very this is, tough. This is therapy. Three, isn't it? Know, three, <laughs> three, game, three games into the season, and this is yeah. how they've got me talking. It's ridiculous. My name is Francis. I've just been to Selhurst Park and seen my football team lose <laughs> yeah. really insipidly. Well, uh, you know, yeah. I was I was I was relatively confident ahead of the Palace game, and, and it that turned out how it did. And now I'm sort of negative ahead of the West Ham game. So maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I I just I'm I am a bit anxious and I hate yeah. to say I hate to say it but I I think I think West Ham might might do us yeah. two two one two one I think yeah well, I apologize yeah well you know turning into Andy Murray yeah <laughs> really happy really You're going happy. through all all the all the all the sort of depressed sounding sports celebs Lawrence yeah. and Murray well you know um but. Yeah, it's it's hard to be it's hard to be confident, isn't it, Frankie? But I, yeah, I'm I'm going to say I'm, prove me wrong. You know, prove me, Aston Villa Football Club. Prove me wrong. Here's what but, I would uh, say: Aston Villa have the players to get out of this rut. They have the personnel to do it, and they have some exceptional players. We have great fans who are loud and passionate, and we'll do our bit as fans. The coaching staff, the manager, and uh, the players have got to do their bit. And I believe we can. We will. We have to. We will. Um, we will. We will. And um, I say that, and then it will come to Sunday, and we'll do the podcast after. It'll be back two to on, two on well, West Ham. <laughs> you know. yeah, yeah. That was my rallying cry. That was my William Wallace moment. Yeah, exactly. Yes. No. We well going back to your Shakespeare uh, uh, quote from earlier on. You know, we will fight them. On the beaches. Was it Churchill? <laughs> Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting my, you know, British historical figures mixed up. I'm so frustrated and 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 upset about Aston Villa. I'm, I'm getting my historical figures mixed up. That yeah. never happens to me. They never. Yeah. You know what I'm like, Frankie. I'm a I'm a pub quiz dynamo. I know all things <laughs> historical. So yeah, Villa, Any... Villa have affected me so much. I'm, I'm, this is happening. Anytime we need to know about soap operas from the 1990s, Coronation Street and Emmerdale, you're the man. You got that. I am the man. It does. It feels like a Shakespearean tragedy. Is is maybe what I was thinking of. Yeah. Uh but um but uh but yeah we'll be we'll be fine. We'll meet again. <laughs> <laughs>